many sights to see And when I look in my window So many different people to be That it's strange So strange You got to pick up Welcome to Stuff We've Seen. Once again, this is your host, Boris Jimmy Ken Karloff. And we are back for part two of our horror extravaganza with the Criterion Channel's 70s horror. And now, here he is, the Prince of Darkness, Teelzebub. How's it going, buddy? The whole time you're talking, I was trying to come up with my own voice, but I couldn't test it out. Uh, I really should have worked on this ahead of time so that I had like some kind of Dracula voice going. But now I'm afraid I just embarrass myself. <laughs> and after watching um, Daughters of Darkness, I think like uh, the way the Countess talks in that movie is <laughs> is like the perfect way a vampire should speak. And I wouldn't even want to attempt to, uh, you know, emulate that performance. It was one of the great voices in a performance. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, I mentioned that the first time, but I mean, that voice had such a leathery, like, yes. like obviously the, the woman was a, a heavy smoker, but there was a weird charm in that voice. It's so, I don't know, it's silkiness and it's It was gruff. seductive. You under, I mean, you understand why they were sort of, I don't, I don't uh, they're, they're taken in by her and also repulsed by her at the same time. And I think she has that same effect on the viewer too. Hey, uh, for you listeners, I know that some people just jump in. They say, well, well, why go for a part one? We can go just part two. But hey, here we are. We're talking about a film that we uh, just spoke about on our last episode, which we taped uh, years ago. No, years ago. <laughs> years yeah. ago or earlier today. And it is amazing. And it's Daughters of Darkness. So you should check it out. But yeah. what we're trying to do here is go through all of these obscure some more than others that yeah. uh, Criterion Channel offered up. And uh, we were in 1974. I think we just finished off with the old Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That's right. Um, but so we're going to continue on now. And the next film on the list is a film called Death Dream by, again, director Bob Clark, who also that same year directed Black Christmas. Oh, it was the same. Okay, same yeah, year. you're right. It was the same year. So, I, I mean, I don't imagine these movies took very long to make. I, I would guess they maybe had three or four weeks shooting, if that. Maybe three. I mean, there isn't yeah. a lot of locations in Death Dream. Yeah, I would give them maybe uh, on the outside 20 days. Yeah, and this is also known as Dead of Night. <laughs> yes. This is one that, A, didn't know this movie existed. 
Yeah, I didn't. I'd never heard of it. Um, but what I thought was fascinating was the setup. It's kind of a zombie slash vampire movie, right? You know, I went back and forth on that. <laughs> I mean, well, so the premise is that there's this family and their son is away at war. It doesn't. Vietnam. I don't think it ever explicitly says Vietnam. Oh yes, but that's, I think it's pretty known that it was in Vietnam. So you know, they they get the knock on the door one day that uh, he's been killed in action, and they even show at the beginning that he's shot and killed in the jungle. Yes, in the jungle. And so the guy is dead, but then he shows up like the next day. At, he comes home and he's like, here I am. And he's uh, a little different than they maybe remember. Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> Sometimes. And then it's such a complicated movie because I, <laughs> and I really like this movie, actually. I did too. I thought it was really interesting. I mean, it, it's low budget filmmaking, but it's actually, and, and it's, it's definitely, it's nowhere on the, the filmmaking scale of like Brian De Palma or something. No, it's about the, the filmmaking scale of Bob Clark. <laughs> yeah, about, exactly. But it, but it, but it's not incompetent, and the performances no. are decent, and it's very watchable. There was this actress in it who plays the soldier's sister. Yes, who really caught my eye. I thought this, this she's. I, I don't know if it was just her look or her performance, but I found her very uh, appealing and charismatic. She and also not a strong like big role, but it comes in towards the end. Is the I don't know what she was the girlfriend the, the girlfriend and then yes. you look these people up to see well were they in tons of movies and they really weren't but they were great. I paused the movie to look up this woman Anya Ormsby who plays the sister and she did like three movies one of which is like convict women yeah, I know. and she did three movies in 1974 then she was on a tv show in 75 one episode and then one episode of a tv show in 89 and then in a short film in 2006 and that's it so she was the wife of the screenwriter of Death Dream. Oh, you know, that's a, there's an interesting tie in coming up in a couple of movies. So, Death Dream, it's interesting. So, the guy starts killing people, animals and stuff, but he, uh, and then you start to realize that he's sort of like rotting away. Well, yeah, that's the thing is he is like a vampire. He needs yes. to uh, drink the essence or whatever, the blood, because he, otherwise he'll rot away. Yeah, so he's keeping himself alive. Yeah, so it is like a vampire or a zombie or something. But but he also is rotting away regardless. Like, I think he'd have to constantly be feeding if he wanted to stay fresh. Yes, he's rotting away regardless. Uh, yeah, and he, uh, I mean, it's a very weird perf and kind of interesting performance where he's very reserved and kind of like from he's from another planet kind of thing. It's a, it's like an invasion of the body snatchers type performance. Right, you're not selling this. This guy, Richard Backus, yeah, this this performance is off the rails. Okay, so okay. No, you're you're right. I wasn't selling <laughs> that it. That was that was the thing that caught my wife and I. We're like, where's this guy? The look, who can make a stare? That's how he got the 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 gig. By the way, is is what is is his ability to create that creepy stare. Okay, yeah, well, that I was trying. That's what I was trying to sell was the creepy stare, but I, I, I guess I undersold it. it because it's the most amazing stare. Do you know who was up for the part who didn't get it because this guy's stare was so good? Who? Christopher Walken. <laughs> Met, Mom, Dad, I'm a I'm a zombie. Uh, got back in yeah. Vietnam. I lost my watch. This is a fantastic performance. It's amazing, and I just couldn't get over this performance. Yeah, and 
and it he takes it to some pretty interesting places by the end of the movie. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> like the last 20 minutes is just fantastic. This this was it a is. movie it is. This was a movie that didn't like burn itself out for me. And it was just the right amount of time. It was about 85 minutes, it was perfect. Yeah, and and it's this really interesting political statement too. I was trying to figure out like is is this like the returning because there were so many of these returning from vietnam low budget movies sometimes they're like revenge thrillers sometimes there's like, yeah, like the Rolling psycho Thunder. yeah or they're like the the psycho killer vietnam vet no or, i think this is part of that genre it's it's an anti-war film for sure it is it is but so it took I, i'm still trying to sort out the metaphors but my thinking was that What's actually happening is it's their grief. The whole thing is a metaphor for their grief about his death and that our dying soldiers are sucking the life out of us, not because they're malicious, but because of our sadness and grief over the loss. Well, I think that's part of it. I think that um, actor, the plumber who plays the father, John Marley. Yes. And the way Lynn Carlin, that's the wife, how she yes. basically knows her son's gone on doing all these horrible things. Right. Uh, but yet she refuses to um, accept that. Yes. She's trying to hide. She wants her old son back. Exactly. And he's, yes. And so I think that where it goes even further is that a lot of the soldiers came back from Vietnam. They were alive, but they were so spiritually wounded. Yes. And the parents couldn't grasp what happened to their, their son that they left one way and they came back a completely different way. And they came back completely different. Yeah. So I think it, it, it which is sort of the same thing, right? It's, yeah. it's still that. No, I think it's a combination of two things going on. It's the, the, the sadness for the ones who died and then never came back. And and then those that came back and never, and they almost were like, it might've been better if they hadn't. And the grief of that too, of, of, you know, loving somebody and then they come back and they're not the same person somehow. And, you know, that's, that's why it's so great when the girlfriend comes in late in the movie. Yes. That's my best. You know what I said, I said to my <laughs> wife, I go, boy, I don't know how this guy's going to hide his hands and stuff. He's going to have to come downstairs and like driving gloves or something. He comes downstairs, his hair slicked back. He's got these, these uh, sunglasses. And the he's sunglasses got, are amazing. He's yeah. got these gloves on and he's going out at night for a date. Yes. <laughs> that's the best. That movie, I got to tell you, you know, this is why. I, I invested all the time to watch all these things. because So you, you can find some, a, a gem like this. I, Till, you know, we see a lot of movies, right? Yeah. I know a lot. Even if I haven't seen something, I know about it. I didn't know this movie existed. Yeah. And that's where it's like this gem that I, it's like one of the, one of my favorites out of this whole list. Well, I mean, aside from the obvious ones, but like, you know, Daughters of Darkness, I didn't know about that. That was a, a, a nice surprise. And so was this Death Dream. It was great. Yeah, it's just a really cool little movie and and an amazing time capsule. Yeah. Great performances. I, I, Yeah. Yeah, and that's another thing is that there's other films on this list that the ones that we had seen and maybe we didn't rewatch. Right. Just because we know them, I think this is an opportunity for people to, um, you know, hey, look, if you haven't tried the Criterion Channel yet, get on it because uh, yeah. these movies will be there for at least through November. Yes. And it's a chance to see things that you're like, I, you know, like for instance, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, some of the ones that we talked about that. I feel like people have seen, maybe they haven't, and you should check it out. And definitely check out Trog. <laughs> well, you know, some people, that's, a, again, no, but, comedy. But, you know, like, like Sisters is a movie I've known about for a long time. A lot but, of people I, haven't seen that. But it's it, it's a really not a well-known movie at all. Well, yeah, you know, 
I'm not sure the reason, maybe because of some of the violence, but there's certain films that you couldn't help but hit on HBO and stuff in the 80s yeah. or they were always showing up. And then there's a film like Sisters that I felt like for a chunk of time, and maybe because remember when you said in 93, that's when they had a 20th you know, restoration. So maybe it really wasn't in good shape. I think it wasn't. I think it was basically lost. And that's another thing to point out now about even things like Death Dream. Uh, you'll see that the prints on some of these movies aren't the greatest. Yeah. And I have the feeling is that these may be the best prints that are even in existence. Yeah. And and without doing like a full digital restoration, this is the best it's going to look. And and I'm sure they're doing some color correcting and removing scratches and stuff like that. But I bet you a million dollars that Death Dream, there is no print available. Yeah. And maybe if there is, there's one. So, um, so there's a high recommendation, right? Yeah. And I don't want to. And I think you and I are trying to stave off all the goodies. Because we could talk about that movie for an hour. <laughs> we could. We could. Yeah. It, yeah. There's so much to unpack in Death Dream. So if you see that, people, give us your thoughts. And if you don't like it, it, it that's your problem. It, exactly. Um, and now moving on to 75. And, and, and yeah. uh, there are not as many packed into the next half of the decade. Um, this is one of the first big features for director David Cronenberg was Shivers. Yes. It caused yes. a lot of controversy at the time, as, as many of his movies do, because uh, it mixed uh, sexuality. Um, it mixes body so, horror, body with... horror, social diseases. Uh, yeah. This one takes place in an apartment complex. People are starting to have sex and a, basically a VD type uh, disease starts spreading. And, you know, I haven't seen it in years and I didn't rewatch yeah, I haven't it. seen it in years either. But yeah, I didn't rewatch it. But now I kind of want to. I, I might. I mean, it's still on there just because we're not going to, you know, we're done with this episode. I'm still going to go f- watch some of these. But Cronenberg is another director that I came across as a teenager me as well and uh became totally obsessed with and watched everything i could find so you just said is that's important as kids we found a director and we'd see one movie we really liked yes and suddenly the next film that they came out with we had to see well not only that i'd be scouring the video store shelves i would get out my uh leonard malton and uh (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> laughing because that's how you we had no imdb back then no there was no imdb you had your leonard malton book and there was no you couldn't look up yeah anybody's filmography so you would uh get it out of a book and then uh, you go to the video store and see if they had it and you and had that one paragraph that was it you had a paragraph of information <laughs> yes one paragraph written by some intern at leonard malton's company i knew somebody who actually wrote them oh <laughs> not Leonard Maltin, eh? And it was not Leonard Maltin. Well, he didn't watch all, all those movies, right, so he had, right. they had to farm some of it out. He was a brand. Yes, exactly. He was the brand. Okay, so we're going to get back to Cronenberg many times, actually, because there's several movies on the list. So Next up. The next one is 1976. This one is kind of interesting. Uh, the director is a guy named Matt Simber. Who I used to work for. That is a tie-in that I want you to tell the audience about in a few minutes. Uh, but this is a guy who directed a few things, some some cheapo horror movies. Also was the director of the original Glow Wrestling series. Yes. And the Mark Marin character on the fake show Netflix's Glow is based on Matt Simber. Uh, the, the title of this film is called The Witch Who Came From The Sea. Yes. And I was just mentioning this in Death Dream, but- 
this is a film that the only like they had the print is not the greatest it's very kind of washed out a little bit okay. and it's got some yeah you know, it's got scuffs and stuff and i bet you that there weren't even very many prints made of this movie because i i, I read some trivia on it on imdb and of course, with some of my uh, internet connections, I went in and did some research. It didn't seem to. Ha- I never heard of this movie. Did you, Did you have you ever heard of it? No, I mean, I I, I definitely at some point uh, I have read Matt Simber's filmography a few times because I worked for him. Yeah, and so I wanted to know what he had made. So I did. Yeah, at some point I, I saw the title, but that was about all but I knew. But that's about the it. only reason you knew. Yeah. That's the, oh, oh, no. Otherwise, never would have heard of it. It's like Ted V. Michaels. So I never, just like Death Dream, I had never, ever, ever heard of The Witch Who Came From the Sea. So that already interested me. Yeah. Now, one of the things in the trivia said that it had its premiere in like January of 76 in um, Corpus Christi, Texas. Interesting. All right. So I used my connections and I found a <laughs> newspaper down in Corpus Christi, Texas. And sure enough, on January 3rd, 1976, there was some theater that showed like double features and some horror films. And in one tiny little box was some <laughs> like little, uh, you know, black and white little face of like something that maybe resembled a witch or something. It said the right. witch who came from the sea was the first feature at seven o'clock. And then there was another feature. That was it. <laughs> I don't know if it ever played anywhere else. <laughs> That was the entire theatrical room. That was uh, it. Run. That, I had to. I had to scour this tiny Corpus Christi paper to find that. <laughs> and I thought that was really. It was like, wow, look, there it yeah. is. It really just played there. It was shot. Probably one of the first features shot by Dean Cundey. Oh, interesting. Okay, that's fascinating. Yeah, and so this uses a lot of real locations, and that's another thing that I find fascinating in this journey through the 70s. These low-budget films, they don't have big sound stages, and so everything is predominantly locations and real yeah. sets, real people, real background, like people just, you know, they're shooting off the cuff. They're not getting permits, and you get to see what do things really look like in 1975. Right. Yes. Yeah. I, that's a joy for me to watch these movies for that reason alone. Right. Yeah. Because they're not as slick. So. Yeah. So it features the lead performance. Uh, and this is a tie in again with Death Dream in that <laughs> the lead actress was married to the screenwriter. How fascinating. Okay. Yes. He was Robert Tom and he had been previously married to Janice Rule, uh, was an actress. And he was married to Millie Perkins, who won an Oscar nomination for her performance as Anne Frank in The Diary of Anne Frank. Wow. She was just like 21 or whatever then. And here she was like, you know, kind of middle aged for an actress of that time. And- that was fascinating. I don't think I'd ever seen Millie Perkins again. Wow. Okay. That is fascinating. And it's this weird movie where it takes place in a seaside community and this woman lives with her sister and the father, there's some kind of weird circumstances that maybe he died under suspicious circumstances. And she seems to be living a fantasy life where she's obsessed with TV and celebrities. And she also blurs the line between her memories as a child, where clearly, as the movie shows in kind of weird details, that her father molested her. Interesting. Okay. So she goes on this mission where she's jealous, I think, of celebrities, and she starts 
mutilating men. Oh, wow. Almost as to act out her revenge. <laughs> about right, being, right, right. Okay. And, and then there's just, and so it, it's a weird movie. I mean, it's not really into my book, a horror film. And The Witch Who Came From the Sea is based on a, a like a poem. Okay. And that's where it's mentioned and stuff. But it's a weird freak out film. And it was graphic. Her like, you know, like that didn't show the genitalia, but right. her like tying up these these football players in a hotel room and they think that she's kind of like this kind of sex kitten and it's a little exploitative on, on the part of like you know this guy who wrote his wife is like Millie Perkins is like naked and I'm like keep thinking oh, like myself I didn't want to see Anne Frank this way and then she oh, chops off and mutilates their uh, genitalia wow it's a really weird movie um, I it was fascinating though there's a lot of bizarre performances in the and movie and you made it through the whole thing oh yeah absolutely and it's another movie that made the video nasty list. Okay, intro. Okay, so it may be worth me checking out. Again, I uh, buyer beware. You can check out any of these films. Oh, I'm I'm not <laughs> saying you're. I, I I get that you're not recommending this, but it sounds like it's a curiosity. Well, it ties in with a little bit, I think, of the Robert Altman film Images, right? Which since our last taping. I did complete, and there's a lot of similarities between images and the witch who came from the sea. Okay, in terms of that perception versus reality versus the character's mental state, all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, and there's also some like, again, I, I don't want to give away images if you ended up watching it, but there's, it, it, I was surprised at how much the two had in common, and it's where I think the people who curated this list clearly saw similarities in a lot okay. of these films, and that's why they picked the films they did. Interesting. Okay. Uh, what do you got next? All right, seventy-seven. This is this filmmaker's second feature, yeah. and it is his actual homage to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yes, it's Wes Craven's "The Hills Have Eyes," and it's a kind of a scary movie. It is creepy, and the sequel—not uh, sequel. I'm sorry, the reboot from like you know back in the I don't know the early like 2006 or something. Yeah, I, I saw that in the theater when I was dating my wife. She she loves horror, and her and her friend wanted right. to go see it, and I had to go see it, and I find. I find some of this stuff, like again, Texas Chains, I find it a little bit too intense. And I found right. the reboot because I never saw the movie originally. Oh, it took me okay. years and then I saw yeah. it a few years ago. Um, it's it's very intense and, you know, it's that whole being hunted kind of thing. Yeah. Family going on a trip and then they get off into the, you know, I, I think that actually the, the, the reboot did a really good job of like uh, special effects and bringing home this idea that, you know, I think that the backstory is that there's these people who lived out in the, the, the Vegas desert or whatever, and right. they got exposed to all of the uh, nuclear testing. Right, right, right. Yeah, okay. so that's why they got deformed and all that stuff. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it is a real creep fest. I think that what's what Chris Craven was great at, right? Yeah, and in his in his best films, they're actually pretty creepy and scary. Yeah, because you really feel, well, again, it's not... It's not as supernatural as much as it is like, wow, these people got off on the wrong tour and can they get out? And you like the characters, right? So yeah. that makes you, I think that's what was worse when you don't want to see the people die. Right. Because there definitely are. <laughs> well, like but like the Friday the 13th movies, they're designed for you like to pick them off one by one. Well, you, they kind of want you to root for the slasher. Exactly. In slasher movies. A, a little bit, you're like, yeah, okay, kill the those those 
ignorant teenagers. Exactly. Yeah. And so they're written to be really awful. I mean, of course, in Texas Chainsaw, the guy in the wheelchair, you can't wait till he gets killed. He's all he's horrible. <laughs> and you and I forgot. I was like, oh, my God, that guy is such he's so awful. Yeah. So the Hills Have Eyes is. Yeah. And it's I mean, it's a classic at this point. I feel like it's just part of the horror canon. It's probably going to show up on. Absolutely. And it's got Michael know. Berryman in it. That's the guy who, you know, he's always seen on the poster and he's been in right, a lot right. of he's in a lot of 80s movies, kind of weird looking. And uh, D. Wallace, of course, is uh, in that movie. And, yep. She's always fantastic. Yeah. So to me, that's one of those like, hey, if you're looking at like, where do we, what do I need to see in the in the annals of horror movies? Like, what can I miss? And it's like, well, you got to see The Hills Have Eyes. And also, if you're looking for a movie that's like actually scary. Yeah. But yeah, if you actually want a movie that's creepy and scary for Halloween, that's a pretty good one. Absolutely. Lights out, watch The yeah. Hills Have Eyes. Yeah. So, I mean, not a lot of these movies scared me. And of course, I wasn't scared watching The Hills Have Eyes, but I would say that that's definitely on the creepier side. Yes. Um, okay. 77. Uh, yeah. Moving up. Cronenberg's next film, Rabid. Rabid. Uh, featuring, uh, you know, adult film star Marilyn Chambers. That's right. That's right. Yes. Did you rewatch this? I didn't rewatch it. I had never it. seen it. That's why I was so excited because oh. I definitely wanted to watch it. Okay. So I watched it. And if it, you're looking at a pairing of this and like the crazies, yeah. this is a film where it's another epidemic gets loose. Yes. And one of the things that's really cool that David Cronenberg did in some of his early works, uh, especially if you are a kid seeing these movies and you're only familiar with, you know, your own surroundings. Yeah. Is he makes really interesting use of the architecture of Montreal. Yes. He does this in uh, Shivers, Rabid, and then Scanners. It's kind of like his Montreal trilogy. And then, yep. uh, the, you know, we're going to talk about another film later, which that was in uh, Toronto. But uh, what, what he does is he, he doesn't, uh, he likes to go on real locations. Yes. And so the architecture and the settings, they're a part of his aesthetic. Yeah. And he really looks for very specific kinds of locations. Like they, they have a look to them that's somewhat consistent in the way that they would be if they were production design but it's actually just a lot of attention paid to locations. Yeah. And, you know, he's always, he's very tied in with science gone wrong. Yep. And a weird sexuality. So, And always stuff about the body, the human body and the intersection between uh, the organic and the machine and where, yeah, but, but a lot of his uh, sort of horror stuff is about our bodies. Well, and this one really kicks off this fascination in that that uh, there's a couple, Marilyn Chambers and Frank Moore, they're on a, they're on a motorcycle and they get into a car a, you know, accident and they just happen to be very close to this plastic surgery uh, center and it's called yeah. the, the, the Dr. Dr. Kelloid is the guy and it's the Kelloid Institute, which is a pun because a Kelloid is a type of scar tissue formed from collagen. Yeah. And so there's a pun there and they decide that she's badly burned supposedly. And so they need to do this reconstructive surgery on her and the scar tissue. And what happens is, and it takes you a while to kind of learn this about what's going on is she wakes up and she's kind of sexually starved and yeah. she gives people these embraces and then suddenly they're like, ah, and so it's a different kind of vampire movie because you find out that she's got what basically looks like a vagina on her armpit 
And yes. this phallic protrusion comes out and injects itself into people. Yes. And then they become zombies. Yes. <laughs> and then they can kill people, but she is the host. Yes. She's, she's like the queen. Yeah. And nobody can figure out because oh, there's, like, there's a whole now it launches into this epidemic thing where people are trying to A, stop people who are infected because they, you know, they think of it as like someone having rabies. Right. And they have an antidote, but the antidote doesn't work. <laughs> Not really an antidote. Yeah, yeah. And they don't know. They can't figure out that Marilyn Chambers is patient zero. So she can then go out and infect more people. Um, with her special arm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's kind of a, you know, again, you know, low budget, not the greatest special effects, great concept. Um, yeah. And then you also see how like a city decides it's going to try to handle this epidemic. And I thought that was kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, and basically these guys go around in hazmat set suits killing anybody that's the rabbit <laughs> right. and then they throw them in a uh, garbage uh, truck. truck. Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of, you know, funny. And so uh, again, it's just, there's some interesting themes that you see in Cronenberg's work yeah. that he gets better at. But this is sort of, you know, you need to go to the early stuff too. Well, and it's interesting because he really did a lot of films before he kind of started to break through. Well, yeah, the 70s, I think, where he had some shorts and like student film and then he had Shivers yeah. and Rabid. Um, and then, of course, he's got another movie coming up in 79. Uh, and that's when he's getting really good. You know, he's getting really good. And then and then the 80s is when they got noticed by Hollywood. Right. But that's when, it, yeah, like when he really started to get an international audience was 81, probably. Okay. So now, Evasion of the Body Snatchers, Philip Kaufman, 78. Uh, we mentioned it actually just a couple of episodes ago because yeah. Michael Chapman shot it. You got the great Brooke Adams, Donald Sutherland, Jeff Goldblum, who was all over the 70s. But Leonard people, Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy, which I thought was fascinating because it was like at the time as a kid, I was like, I've never seen him in anything else yeah. other than Star Trek. So that was cool. And then a personal favorite of mine. Uh, she's just one of those actresses that was in late 70s through early 80s, plus some stuff when she was a kid. And I just I don't think I even knew who she was. I just liked her stuff. It was Veronica Cartwright. Oh, yeah. Okay. She's just yep. part, of like, part of like my, I have these specific actresses that I think are just fantastic. Yeah. And they like, they showed up for a period of time and then they didn't show up as much after the 80s. Yeah. It's, yep, that is how. But I would miss them because I was like, I want to see more Veronica Cartwright. I mean, you know, she was an alien. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, which is the Eastwick. So anyways, do we want, do you have anything you want to say in Invasion of the Body Snatchers? This is Better than the original. Oh, wow. As, as, as Joel Petroikas might say, the movie gods will strike you down. Uh, I, I agree. I think it's, for me anyway, our generation, I really thought it was, you know, it's pretty good. I think the theme, the Cold War theme is a little, is hit a little too hard in the original. Right. And this is more psychological. Yep. And so I feel like it has a little bit more emotional depth and a little bit more impact on me as opposed to just like a Twilight Zone episode. Also, it features some great special effects at the time. And, and it's just, it's a it's an interesting movie about the 70s. It's about like, there's stuff about cults. There's stuff about, it. it it's, a, it, it's about sort of what was going on intellectually in the country in the 70s too. And of course, as a kid, I, you know, completely lost on me but I, I only watched I watched this like a, la, a year ago oh for the first time no 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 just in first time in years but my youngest and I watched it but you see that now that there's all this social commentary in it and yeah. it's also better than the next invasion of the bodies in fact I will go so far as to say this is the best invasion about body snatchers movie yeah I don't think I need to see. I've seen the Nicole Kidman one and that was kind of lame 
And then I haven't seen, I didn't see the Abel Ferrara one. Okay. The next movie on the list, I, I actually purposely avoided this. This is a movie that <laughs> I didn't, I, it's Michael Crichton, uh, you yeah. know, a fun writer, I guess. And this is 78 coma, but I don't think he's a very good filmmaker. Uh, no, he's not a great filmmaker. This might be his best film though. Yeah. Um, here's the weird thing. This thing freaked me out as a kid. And I think that just like Jaws kept people from the water, this movie was very damaging for people wanting to donate yes. parts to science because they were so afraid that if they had their name on a uh, organ donor card, they were going to end up like the movie <laughs> right. Coma where some doctors are going to get to it like a cabal or they're going to put you in a coma so they can sell stuff. So I actually think this movie did a lot of damage to people. Yes. That's interesting. So is that why you avoided it or? I've seen it. I mean, it was because it was also shot in Boston, you know, and so I think that was also another creepy connection that it was like, are they really going to do that to people? <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it really in forever. And uh, so as a kid, I, I, I just I don't have enough time in my life to be rewatching Coma. My memory as a kid is that it was kind of a uh, kind of effective as a thriller. And that's and, and not much more than like uh, a, a TV movie procedural might be yeah and of course i saw it on tv <laughs> it's <was> perfect <laughs> so yeah if, if, i would say if you if you've got a v8 old vhs vhs of this vhs cinema coma by michael great <laughs> um yeah i think i saw it on like the abc like weekly movie or something yeah time. okay now this is a film that i squeezed in recently and i'm glad i did uh 1978 uh director is colin eggleston and it's an Ozploitation film called Ooh, Long Weekend. Nice. And uh, Criterion's had this kicking around. They they had packaged it up with their Bad Vacation series. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, and I had wanted to see it then, but then I was like, well, it's been on my list. I got to see this now that it's on the seventies thing. And uh, you know what? This one is worth your time. You should watch. It this. is. Oh, it absolutely okay. is. It features a couple having a lot of marital problems. And so that ties in with some other uh, features that I saw on this list and a little okay. bit like uh, some things to do with images a little bit. But here's the twist. They're going on a long weekend to sort of repair their their marriage and they're going to some kind of beach place. And, and this is, takes place in Australia. Okay. And the husband's a real dick and the wife is not much better, all right? <laughs> and he's got his gun. He's going to go like hunting when he's down there and they bring their dog. And basically, just from the outset on the trip, you get the sense that these are two people who don't give two shits about nature. Okay, that's great. They, yeah. She's like, actually, they're in this beautiful location and she just thinks it's the most boring, awful place. <laughs> and they keep doing things to disrupt nature. And you can see that it's pissing nature off. Oh, interesting. Yes. And they do horrible things throughout the movie as they're trying to, like, as you start to peel back the onion and understand how damaged their own relationship is. And as they act out their hatred on each other and you see just how awful they've treated the surroundings and the different creatures they come into con contact with, the creatures seem to start getting revenge. Oh, this sounds cool. Okay, don't tell me anymore. I won't, because you know what? This is a movie that we're coming back to when you watch it, because I okay. guarantee you, man, you're going to be like, holy crap. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. But here's the best part. They create characters that are interesting to see this relationship unfold, but also you can't, you're rooting against them because they're so awful. Right, I right, can't right. wait. Like, instead of being like, oh my God, what's going to happen to them? Is nature going to get them? I'm like, come on, nature. <laughs> Torture them. But yeah. here's the best part. I 
had forgotten the log line for the movie. Uh-huh. I forgot what it was about, so I turned it on. And within like 20 minutes, I'm like, man, these people are really treating nature really crappy. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to like, why would like, I'm going to just look and see what this movie's about. And I'm like, oh my God. All right. Now okay, I know. Okay, there yeah. you go. <laughs> so, so I highly recommend people check Long Weekend out, another movie I didn't know existed. Okay. I, I will come back to it in yeah. a few weeks. Yeah. Okay. 1979. We're really close to the end of the decade. Uh, yeah. Don't worry, folks. We've got a lot more. <laughs> this is, and, and this was surprising because I was like, I've heard of this movie. You know, I knew it was maybe controversial, but I really had never seen it. And it's Abel Ferrara. We just mentioned him a few minutes ago. The Driller Killer. The Driller Killer. Yes. Which is one of those like Texas Chainsaw, like, you know, sensational titles. Exactly. Yeah. A classic, classic title. And you've seen this movie, you say? I've, I saw this movie uh, on VHS in the 80s, I think. Okay. I've never seen it. It was also on the video nasty list. Yeah. And Abel Ferrara is the lead guy. He plays yeah. this uh, insane artist, Reno Miller. He lives with two girlfriends. And they're played by, you could see that they feel like at the time, they were both like lower lower Manhattan, just like hanging out, like scene. I call them scene girls. Like they were yeah, into yeah, the yeah. punk scene. There's actresses never really did anything. Carolyn Mars and this woman, Baby Day. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they were really maybe Ferrara's girlfriends in real life or what. But I will tell you that throughout the movie, Baby Day looks like she's strung out. Okay. All right. And there's well, a and there's a scene at the end, towards the end of the movie. She comes barreling into the apartment, and I mean she's like razor thin. I mean she looks right. like she's on drugs. She comes in and she's literally going like this. She's rubbing her nose and sniffing, and there was no scene about her doing any drugs. <laughs> she was like probably just snorted a line before she did the scene and she looks like somebody who's on coke so i don't know anything but i'm just saying that this is what you're going to get in this movie that i think everybody was was like really in to the scene and what's fascinating about this movie isn't necessarily the driller killer thing which you know it's violent and gross and right. stuff but it's this movie about the punk scene in lower manhattan right. in early like late 70s early 80s and that to me was very fascinating had a lot of energy and you got the sense that even on a low budget and whatever the hell this guy was on, like on, <laughs> was doing this guy yeah. knew how to make a movie I, all i could say is that you can tell who can put a film together and who can't and he had something going with this movie i don't know why i kind of dug it in a weird way yeah i mean he's an interesting i've never been a huge fan never of his, never but, never been a huge fan no but i've appreciated his movies from a distance i, I would say they definitely take a distance of this because i don't even know like i feel like there was some kind of weird joke that he had like i feel like this was the same line they were going with with velvet buzzsaw but yet he did it better with the driller killer right 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 but it almost felt like he was like hey if i throw in this whole drill kill thing i might be able to get this into cinemas right right i'll throw in this horror aspect yeah (laughs) and it's really and it's darkly funny and i don't think he meant it to be as funny as it was but like he's a guy who's slowly losing his mind and there's this drill that's at the house. But, yeah. But this is what I actually found fascinating. I'm like, this is an interesting level. A guy who could become a serial killer, he might not actually take that leap 
if he doesn't have a way to execute his plans. Right. But then on TV, he sees this ad for this <laughs> utility belt that's also like a battery pack. And as soon as he sees that, he's like, well, wait a minute. Now I can take the drill out. <laughs> now I can, I can do it. And it's like, then he goes and buys this, like, and it doesn't happen right away. He just sits there. Right. And I'm like, oh, this is so great. He's got this, like, ridiculous battery pack. And that's, like, the, the device that he needs to be. Because, like, he'd be like, well, how do you walk? Power drills didn't have attachable batteries back right, then. So right, right. How no, else so are you going to do gotta, that? You got the battery belt. And then, of course, the, the so ridiculous is that nobody tries to ever fight him off. Uh, and it, like he's just drilling away. Right, and, right, right. And, and sometimes he like runs up. And he's like, ah, I'm going to drill you. And then he like runs off. And I'm like, you know what? That probably still wouldn't have killed the person. They probably could have <laughs> got up and fought you off a little bit. But that's okay. Whatever. I'm going with it. And it's, uh, <laughs> it's a ridiculous movie that I feel like I'm glad I kind of watched it. Just because of the punk scene, it kind of reminded me a lot of Susan Seidelman's uh, Smithereens. Okay. Yeah. That's, I, it, it's interesting because, you know, of course, when I originally watched this, I was all about the gore. Of course. And you get, you know, you get plenty of that, that blood stuff we were talking about in the last episode. <laughs> yeah. But I think I was more interested in that than the punk scene at the time. Whereas now I'd probably be more interested in the punk scene. I'm with you a whole, all, all the way, buddy. If I'd saw this, I'd be like, oh, I'd be talking to my friend, oh, that part where he puts the drill in the guy's head. I wonder how <laughs> exactly. he did that. And yeah. instead <laughs> there's this cool, like they spend a lot of time with this punk band that like gets a practice rehearsal space in his building. And there's this scene where they're trying to create a song and they're using the chords from the Peter Gunn theme. And oh. it's like, dun, 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 dun. And this whole sequence, it creates a lot of energy and a lot of the cross cutting that he does with what's going on in this guy. I, again, there's a lot to like in this movie as much as there's a lot to dislike. But it's, it's, it sounds like it's a, uh, it, it's earned its place as a cult film. Oh, it's cult all the way. I'm sure there's like, I'm sure you see this with a live audience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so again, I'd never seen it. So I'm glad I did. Uh, next one, 79 still. Okay. We're yep. still on the Cronenberg train. We are not, <laughs> we're not getting off the no. Cronenberg train apparently because he was cranking them out early on there. Well, I also think that the Criterion has access to a lot of his films. Right. Uh, so it's like, well, we can put these Cronenbergs out. And I think The Brood, which is what we're talking about, was yes. already available uh, on the Criterion channel. And this is a film that I remember when I was really starting to get into Cronenberg. And I wanted, like you said, we want to see what else he did. Yeah. I'd see things in Fangoria about this Brood movie. And I'm like, yes. I didn't have a VCR yet. I'm like, how am I going to see this? Well, guess what? They paired it up at the drive-ins and I was like, oh, oh. dad, mom, this is the brood. We're going, we're going to see this movie. And we loved it. <laughs> yeah, man. We loved the brood. Well, I would also say this is kind of a scary movie. It is very uh, unsettling. And it has another one of these things where you have like this institute. And it's sort yes. of like a, cu a couple's like, you know, aggression therapy place. And there's this guy who's the lead sort of cult-like figure, Oliver Reed. And, you know, again, Cronenberg loves to go to these types of places. Yes. And I don't even want to, I mean, unless you have some things you want to talk about with The Brood, but I didn't rewatch it. I just have seen I didn't rewatch it. I, uh, I remember it as being one of my 
favorite of the early Cronenberg films, although that probably goes to Scanners. But yeah, well, this is a seven. I mean, I've always like I, I kind of look at Scanners as that line in the sand where there's there's Scanners and there's post Scanners and then there's pre Scanners, and so so okay, exactly. So yeah, this of of the early Cronenberg of those three that we've talked about, The Brood is my favorite. What's great about the great filmmakers is each film he's getting better. Yes, well, and it's cool that. You know, this is why I was uh, mentioning that he he did quite a few things before he sort of broke through is that he got the chance to make, you know, some low budget things where the stakes weren't quite as high. Whereas you see directors like, say, Richard Stanley. (laughs) (laughs) Careful. We're going to get to that or not. I know. But my point was just like, you know, if you start off with too big a film. You don't really get to cut your teeth in the same way that like a lot of these people, uh, yep. the, the way Cronenberg did, like he really figured out a lot of stuff while making movies. And you, you hold, you put a pin in that because I've got some interesting information coming up in a couple of movies. Okay. And I think it explains a lot about Cronenberg's process and how he got to do the things he wanted to do. Cool. So we finished the Criterion films of yeah. the 70s. Hello, hooray. But now now there's some extras. Yes. That we just, uh, again, I saw a few other things. It was Horror Month. Uh, my wife got a subscription for the month of sh- to Shudder. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she loves the horror. And there was a film that was on there that I always wanted to watch as a kid. And I may have seen something in Fangoria about it, so I wanted to watch it. So we watched this thing. It was probably, it should be relegated to the riff tracks. Okay. <laughs> it's this movie called Fade to Black. Oh, yes. Vernon uh, Zimmerman was the director and features Dennis Christopher, who was the lead in Breaking Away. Mm-hmm. Some other actors that we don't need to really mention. I, I don't want to dwell too much on it but because it has great concept, terrible execution. And it's this kid who's obsessed. Have you ever seen it? Oh, I saw it uh, in the 80s. Yeah, I saw I saw it on VHS. Okay, so, yeah. And as a kid, you might have thought it was better than it turned out to be watching it as an adult. I thought it was pretty great when okay. I was a teenager, but mostly just because- you know, it's a guy obsessed with movies. Yeah, and basically the people who get in his way or his obsessions or whatever, he he kills and he acts that out with different movie characters. Exactly. So that seemed, that was kind of fun to the film nerd teenager I was. Was the, Yeah. But here's what's so great is features one of the earliest performances from Mickey Rourke. Yes, yes, yes. He plays one of the guys that, that he works with who hates, you know, gives him a hard time. And uh, it's kind of funny in a lot of ways now because of the way technology went. And then this is kind of pre, this kid, talk about movies obsession. He just waited a few years. He might've had, you know, cable and all these other right, things. Right. Instead, he's like, he's showing uh, movies on a projector in his bedroom. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there's this one great scene, though. He dresses up like a cowboy, like a Hopalong Cassidy yeah, or yeah, something, yeah. and he's got this mask on, and it is really creepy. And it was the the standout moment in the whole movie okay. just because this character was so freaking creepy that I would love to have that costume. <laughs> That's like, I don't know why that didn't become more iconic. But uh, again, this movie, I feel like has lost the time. It's terrible in so many ways. You know, we could spend an hour talking about just how bad this movie is. I almost want to see it again just because- <laughs> If you do, uh, we can I, talk about it. I'm curious about my memory of it, you know? That's what's fascinating. I bet you, you're like, oh my God, could this really be- the same movie it's terrible you know again at the time you know as a fangoria reader sometimes i would watch a movie just for the special makeup effects 
I'm sure I wanted to see it because I knew he had all these characters and I wanted to see those characters. So that's, that's what I, they absolutely. And it was, uh, and it referenced these movies and I got the references and I, anyhow, yeah, I, I, I I liked that movie as a teenager, but I'm not going to, not going to vouch for it. Okay. Now we're going, now there's not like a chronology here other than like, we are going to go in order. 1983, we, cause, cause there were so many Cronenberg movies. Yeah. Criterion also offered up. They have, you know, they have an actual. Uh, some movies they just get for like a couple of months, right, but right, others right. are part of their spines that they're, they're actual. Like you know, you buy the Blu-ray or whatever, and they have like all these extras. And once in a while, they'll do like what they did with Boyhood. They put right, it up right. there with a whole bunch of extras. Well, they did that with David Cronenberg's 1983 film Videodrome. Yes, my wife and I wanted to rewatch it. Um, my oldest was, he watched the first half hour and thought it was boring and he checked out before all the good stuff. Okay. So it may have been too cerebral for him. And then after I watched the whole thing, I rewatched it with Cronenberg's commentary. Oh, cool. And then I watched a few of the other little snippets. Videodrome, I think, was really one of my favorite Cronenberg movies. I think it was the one that got me into Cronenberg. Yeah, I saw Scanners first. It was one of the very first. Oh, no, you're right. I had seen Scanners first. Oh, had and- you? Good. Well, I know your dad was probably like my day. He took you to these things, right? Yeah, uh, I did see Scanners first. And then, yeah, and then I, but I remember my friend Dale coming into school after his parents took him. <laughs> he, <laughs> his parents took him to see Videodrome. And uh, he, uh, I remember him trying to explain it to me and it just sounded so insane that this guy like kept a gun in his stomach. It was just like so, so crazy. And he was trying to explain it to me and I just couldn't quite grasp it. And then, you know, I watched it last week and I was trying to explain it to my wife (laughs) and I realized I I couldn't, I, it was like, I couldn't really explain the movie in any way that really made any sense. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough movie. Well, I have different, I've had an evolving opinion on the film when I saw it. So I saw scanners first and my dad took me to the theater because i want you know again it was fangoria so i got him to take yeah, me to yeah, the yeah. because i wanted to see those special effects and you know the fangor uh scanners is a weird one because it does end kind of like it doesn't end as good i think it's just like in some true. of these horror movies yeah. but i liked it mostly because again i i saw special effects and i also thought yeah. it was like weird because i didn't know it was shot in canada i just knew like this is like weird location that i'm not familiar with it doesn't look like america yeah, it, feels, but it, it feels somewhere different it feels foreign yes yeah. but. so then when videodrome came out at the beginning of 83 i i don't know if i i, I don't think my dad liked scanners too much so i don't think he was right. like all right we're gonna go see that <laughs> but it opened on the same day as another film all right. It came out at this little theater. It was like a four, the Burlington Mall Theater is what was near me. It wasn't yeah. the big multiplex. It only had four screens. And playing there at the time when this came out, February, I'll never forget. I, it, it, there was this weird movie called Time Rider. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That had come out. Then The Entity with Barbara Hershey came out. Oh, yes. I did not. I have not seen that. But I've seen Time Rider. Videodrome was out and then this movie that I saw the previews for and I wanted to see so bad uh the last american virgin oh yeah <laughs> and it was a it was a hard no like they wouldn't let me see porkies and it was like you know this is not going to happen i worked them i mean i was the king of working my parents movies finally my mom's like you know what 
Paul, if you want to take them, whatever. So Friday night, I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to see the last American Virgin. We get there and it was a madhouse. And the last American Virgin was all sold out. Oh. I was crushed. And my dad was willing to see something else, but it was like Time Rider. So we ended up seeing Videodrome. Okay. We ended up seeing Videodrome. And again, it was like, you know, to like a, 12 year old is what I was at the time. Right. It wasn't, yeah. you know, it was all of the stuff that I've been reading about in Fangoria, but it was just such a weird, like, you know, movie. I thought was cool was this idea that there was like this video stuff that would be implanted in your head. And right. if you watched it, but if you didn't watch it, you'd be okay. And yeah, the phantom signal, the videodrome signal coming through on the tape, but everything seemed, I, I liked all the technology stuff about it at the time and yeah it was just (laughs) it had all the fangoria stuff in it which i was looking forward to but what i got was something much more cerebral but also like the reason i had so much trouble explaining it to my wife was because there's so much blending of reality and hallucination and fantasy and all these things and so it's very hard to tell and it's hard for the main character to tell when it's real and when it's not i'm glad you mentioned this because this is why i wanted to watch the uh the commentary or watch it with the commentary well first of all i i then you know it used to be on cable a lot i'd watch it growing up you know and seeing it on you know, video and stuff. Um, so I'd seen it a few times, but then in, oof, I don't know when it was, it was the late nineties or like maybe like 2001, 2002, it showed at the Harvard film archive. Okay. I went with my friend Peter and his brother took a date. That was their first date. <laughs> they went to video drive. They sat behind us and me and okay. his kid Pete were giving him a hard time because it was a date. Cause this is his younger brother. The kid was like, okay. it was twenties, yeah, yeah. whatever, but it's a weird movie, right? Take a first yeah, it's date. a weird movie with weird sex stuff in it. So by the end of it, right, she was cool with it. They ended up getting married. Oh. And basically his thing was is that he's like, well, I Videodrome is one of my all-time favorite movies. I'm going to date this girl. If she can make it through Videodrome and still want to go out on <laughs> another date, she could be a keeper. And she was, right? <laughs> That's awesome. It's a great test. And then I hadn't seen the movie again since that time. So re-watching it, you know, now it's like, you know, when you're an adult, now you know, I'm 50 years old, you look yeah, at things- Yeah, you see it a little differently. Yeah. Plus the age we're all addicted to our cell phones and stuff, right? Yes. So there's so much of this stuff that it's almost weird how clairvoyant he was about the future. And it, it's amazing to watch, you know, it's about technology sort of taking over our reality and, and, and sort of blurring the line between technology and reality. And it was so cool to watch it now because it's all pre-cell phone, pre-internet. And it's like at the time, television was the big yes. mass technology. And of course, then, you know, just on a on a geek level, the Rick Baker effects were so innovative. They were so innovative and so cool. And sure, do they look like 100% real? But I'll take these any day over CGI. I love the one when he's when he first take not when he first when the second time he takes the gun out and it starts to attach and there's the oh. cables coming out of his fingers and you know they keep cutting back to his face so they can move to a different stage of the makeup but I I, <laughs> I don't care it's so cool to watch and and like the videotapes like pulsating and the stuff. pulsing oh. videotapes and 
even like I loved the uh, sort of ballooning TV screen that he sticks his head into. There's a lot that goes behind making that. Now you just do it with CGI, but it looks. Yeah. So they talk about this stuff like and this was recorded. The commentary was recorded several years ago by Cronenberg and then separately his cinematographer. Okay. And so they talk a little bit about that stuff. But, you know, what's so great is that there's this texture to the reality versus CGI. And that's what Cronenberg likes. You actually feel like these things exist and your brain buys into it more. Which is especially interesting in a movie that's about illusion and reality. Well, so you just said about how like it was hard to explain because you couldn't tell what was real and what's not. That was purposeful. On oh, Cronenberg. I know. He didn't, yeah. He didn't want to like tip his hat by showing scenes that look different. So, you know, oh, this is not real. Well, because sometimes they're going on in the same scene, the real and the not real. I don't know whether or not Cronenberg didn't want to tip his hat on the commentary, right? Because directors, some do, some directors like to say this was my intention. Right. But others right, right. love to keep it vague. But if you watch the commentary, he really takes it through a linear pattern as if like the Videodrome is real and that he it's implanted and that, you know, he has illusions and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. And so everything you watch could be interpreted that way. Yeah. And that's kind of how I always interpreted it until I watched it now. And now I feel like that James Woods has a psychotic break. And because of watching filth and all this stuff and, and that everything he sees, like, yeah, he's, he, he has illusions, but that like when you see him, when he goes into the TV station and starts killing people. Right. I feel like we see what he thinks he sees, but I feel like there is no videodrome, any of that stuff that he's just insane. And at the end he's by himself and he like, you know, he kills himself. Right. So the whole videodrome idea is just a creation of his insanity. That's what I think. I think it's my interpretation, which I never had until I rewatched it now as an adult. And again, Cronenberg doesn't say anything to that. Right. I I think it's, I would not buy that interpretation personally, but I, I respect it. I think that, and, and part of the reason I, I'm, I'm not buying it is that based on Cronenberg's other work. Yeah. There is this machine and body and physicality thing going on. So I think some of that. And and the technology thing, I I don't know. I I, I I tend to think I don't know. Now now you've confused me. Well, like I said, I've like look at that's why again this is a movie worth revisiting and going back yeah. to because it's a very complex movie and I realize that I've seen it many times and I'm getting new things out of it or getting new interpretations. Whereas you walk into it and watch it for the first time, I don't even know what you think, you know? I, uh, <laughs> after I watched it this time, I, uh, it, I, I went to read a tiny little bit about it and I found it a review. I want to read a couple of sentences sure. from this is from the Washington post, uh, February 9th, 1983 by Gary. So, Arnold. Okay. So it's like right when the movie came out, right when the movie came out, there's no, no looking back here. The limelight reflects so harshly on a misbegotten new shocker called Videodrome that it could damage the career of writer-director David Cronenberg. Oh, that's the thing is, it was A, a bomb, and people hated it. And people hated it. Simultaneously stupefying and boring, Videodrome is too extreme a blunder to survive exposure to a justifiably disillusioned horror movie public. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And I remember at the time, other than the special effects, I kind of was like gave it a mixed bag myself. And it's just a movie, though, that it just works your brain. You can't like Videodrome itself. You can't let it go. (laughs) 
and there's so much cool stuff like the you know the church i i just i was so into it as a I kid i love that the, the church the is so era. cool yes the the cathode ray ministry or I whatever love, it's I want called a shirt that has that logo on yeah it. <laughs> uh, no i i just thought that was so cool i thought the weird corporate stuff was cool the conspiracy stuff i love the uh spectacular optical guy what's his name barry something yeah uh, just the whole sort of shadowy conspiracy technology mixed with cd underground video just it, i don't know it really appealed to me then and it was uh i didn't find it boring I, I guess people can find this movie boring and nonsensical. Oh, no, not me. And not me. I, this movie totally held up for me. So here's a fascinating thing. This is why sometimes I like commentaries. Here's an interesting thing. And the movie is a little uneven, right? And this is what, what Cronenberg says. It, yeah. And by the way, James Woods helped write that ending because they didn't have a good solid ending and oh. it wasn't working. And so the ending that they came up with was the one that James Woods, he actually contributed a lot. He was like, you know, through his character and coming right. up with ideas because Cronenberg's very collaborative. He says, I don't like to work this way and it never really happens but on this film it wasn't finished writing and he explained what what happened and what was going on with canadian filmmaking at the time uh -huh. there was a lot of grants and money available to make films and right. you have these projects that you're working on and you get sort of somewhat a green light and you're looking for investors especially when you're right. a low budget film there were a lot of tax shelters going on in Canadian film at the time. Right. And what was happening is that people were like figuring out their finances and now they had money that they need to put in a tax shelter and there was all these benefits that Canadian Canada like offered yes. people. So <laughs> what would happen is the producers are working those people to get this money. So suddenly the investors come in and they're like, we got all the money. So we got to start shooting because you have to be able to actually start shooting in order to take advantage of the tax shelter money. Right, right, so right. So they're like, you know, you're not fitting. You're going to have to start shooting. So he had to start. Before the script was. Right. They okay. had basically the idea and some of it, but there was like, well, you don't want to lose that money. So he said, that was kind of how you operated. Wow. And of course, because of these films, then he got to make, you know, some Hollywood stuff. Right, right. But that's the way he was making movies. And that's where maybe some of the unevenness or why the budgets, because it was like, we got this money, let's go. <laughs> oh, that is, yeah. I mean, I guess the film, <laughs> the film doesn't have like a real plot in the traditional sense. Yeah. It kind of moves, but it, but it it moves along, but it it, it has its own internal logic, uh, maybe, and maybe that's a lack of logic from the uh, way it was written, but okay, that's very interesting. Here's some other things I saw because my son, we rewatched, hadn't seen it. I mean, I'm I'm talking like 30 years. The original Hellraiser. Oh, fun! Liked it a lot more than I did back then. I think it's very inventive. Obviously, it kicked off a whole like franchise, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's just some great things in it that uh, you know you didn't. I mean, I just thought it was a well-made uh, horror film and a great story. Yeah. Um, so there's that, and it's actually kind of funny in parts too. So I recommend that for anybody who never saw Hellraiser. Yeah, I haven't before. seen it since then. I barely remember it, but good I, for the kids. Yeah, good for the kids. <laughs> no. Good kids film. Okay, but hey, guess what? You know, you want some new stuff, right? You want some new Halloween stuff? Uh, okay, well, Netflix is offering you Adam Sandler and his usual suspects, Hubie Halloween. <laughs> Oh, no. I saw it because my youngest, we watched it. It was pretty bad. Um, you know, it took place in Salem, was shot around there. So like that, you know, was interesting. And there's not going to be really much of a Halloween going on this year. So, you know, 
<laughs> buyer beware. It's kind of a little bit mean spirited. He plays the dumb Adam Sandler character, the okay, kind of dimwit yeah. that's yeah. got a heart of gold, and everyone picks on him for dumb reasons. And it shoots out more gags, and basically one out of every twelve lands. Okay, but I, I did laugh a couple times. It was pretty bad though. Okay, so yeah, don't I'm not that. gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna watch that. Youngest I, wants the Huey Halloween. I don't Adam know. Sandler has only made four good movies. Yeah, this wasn't one of them. Now here's a gem that I think you should check out. Came out right before the pandemic hit. I wanted to mm-hmm. see it because I saw the trailer and I was like, this looks pretty good. And I gotta tell you, uh, it, it, you know, the ending of it, it, it's more about the journey. Let's just say, mm-hmm. but uh, Gretel and Hansel. Oh yeah, it's this uh, director Osgood Perkins. Features Sophia Lillis, who was in It, who played uh, the girl in it with the red, red hair. And play- is she on um, I'm Not Okay With This? That's a Netflix TV show. I think she is. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's in that. I like her a lot. Then you got to watch that show. That show is great. Okay. So I'll, I'll check that out. And playing the witch. I mean, I'm not giving it away. It's Gretel Hansel, for God's sake. Right. <laughs> Alice Krieg, actress for years. She was in Ghost Story in 1980, and uh, she played uh, the head of the Borg in one of those Star Trek movies. Um, okay. She's, she's fantastic. And uh, the camera person, the person who shot it is Galo Oliveres, and he was the camera person on Roma. Oh, interesting. And, so, and this yeah. movie, it has this insane look. Right? It's shot digitally, but it has this very rich color look, and it's huh. shot in the weirdest aspect ratio, 155 to 1. That is very strange. Other than the fact that there's like a, pre, a, pre, a prelogue there, a prologue that's yeah. shot 235, this whole movie is 155 to 1. The framing is insane. And the sets of this little house that the witch lives in and everything about it, it's so interesting um i don't know if it's everybody's bad because it's a slow moving movie where not a ton right. happens but i thought every frame of this movie was gorgeous and wh- where's the it's on uh i think it's on hbo max sorry <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'm sorry man I mean, but i got i got i got a whole crap load of streamers and uh <laughs> that's one of them so or, or no it was on epix i think epix okay yeah, it's, i have cable so it's yeah Okay, yeah. I know, but I'm telling you, it's worth your time. Okay. Okay. Now, the last film, which was on Shudder, um, and it was another reason why I was like, yeah, yes, wife, get this, get, get you, this Shudder. you call her wife? <laughs> Whatever. My partner, <laughs> crime, I don't know. I have a name for her, but we're going to keep her name out of the show, uh, is the comeback for director Richard Stanley, Color Out of Space. 24 years later. So, I mean, you, now, did you ever see the documentary about him? I never did, no. Okay. But you know who he is, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I I read articles about him at the time. I've read articles about him since then. He's He made it big with this horror movie called Hardware. Did you ever see it? Yep. I never saw it. But is it good? No. Okay. Well, that's what put him on the map. <laughs> and then he was hired to direct The Island of Dr. Moreau. And he was famously fired several days in. And then he hid out on the outskirts of the set and even tried to sneak on the set as an extra. Yeah. uh, As one of the creatures. And they made a documentary about him and his journey and some footage from like making it and the whole story behind this disastrous film. And and, uh, and this guy was, he's a whack job, right? Yeah. Totally insane. Uh, And I actually thought the guy was so crazy in this documentary that I didn't think maybe he's even able to, to make a film. 
ever again. <laughs> okay, like I just right. like, well, this has got to be the reason why. I don't know. If, and the guy sounds like he has right. ideas, but like I didn't buy that he he kept on talking about projects, and I'm like, this guy's never going to make another movie. Well, damn it, if he hasn't made a film <laughs> called Colorado Space, and I felt like the kid in me from the '80s was just geeking out because I love this movie. It's got Nicolas Cage who gets to finally do what he does best, which is cage rage like he did in mandy like he did in mandy and like he he does when he's allowed when he finds the right project yeah and it's yeah. got jolie richardson as plays his wife and his daughter is a great actress madeline arthur madeline arthur oh i had God. to look her up she was so impressive i'll never forget she is great in this movie right she yeah she really stands out a tommy chong's in it this uh, guy yep. elliot knight's the guy who's like the water expert <laughs> so wait do you have any idea did you do any research on how this movie came about how richard stanley got to like i don't know i just know that this movie like when i watch this it's hard to believe that this guy has been hiding for 20 plus years because yeah the movie is a little uneven it doesn't really have the greatest ending i guess it kind of it like, doesn't really have a story no but man this journey and the way the techniques and i just i just so much about it i really liked well let's just say what the premise of the movie is yeah go ahead okay so the pre as far as i could tell the premise of the movie is that it's like an alien invasion movie Pretty much a comet lands and then things go wrong. <laughs> There's a meteorite, but the alien is a color. Yes. And so instead of alien creatures, we have this color that's spreading and, and getting in the water and mutating creature. And, and so it's sort of, and knowing that it's Lovecraft, uh, you know, he always loves these, like we're on this edge between dimensions thing and we might be slipping into other realms. Yeah. Time is definitely um, warped a bit in this movie. Yeah. Time is warped. Reality is warped. There, there may be these other creatures living with us that we can't see. You know, I'm thinking of like from beyond, or something but usually in lovecraft what happens is is that it, it, it destroys people yes you know they kind of go mad with this stuff and so in a way this i feel like lovecraft movies that focus on the creatures i feel like fail yes but when they focus on the people being affected by this, they're much more successful. So you like this movie, correct? Oh, I I think this is one of the best alien invasion movies I've seen in a long time. I thought, and not only that, this movie <laughs> is completely bonkers. Yes. It's not just a bonkers Nick Cage performance. It's a bonkers movie surrounding him. It's sort of like someone said, you've had the reins on too long, buddy. We're going to let you do things that you never get to do anymore. Yes. Yes. <laughs> he, I mean, the way he's throwing out lines and he's just, I mean, there's a lot of energy going on. <laughs> he puts everything into this, but the movie does too. The movie does not hold back. It is on, it's like volume up to 11 on like the special effects, the lighting, the performances, yeah. even the script, the fact that the daughter is all into this occult stuff. I mean, I guess maybe the most boring part of it is the water inspector guy, but that's sort of needed to like balance yes. out to show like a contrast of normalcy against what's going on at their farm, which is just, you know, is completely bonkers. Yeah, while the conclusion of the movie was kind of whatever for me, the climax, the third act of the film is so insane. The third act is fantastic. Yeah, the, the last Oh, man. The last five minutes. Uh, yeah, but the 20 minutes or the 30 minutes before. Yeah. 
Oh, I just, I was in delight. Like my wife loved it too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's similar to Mandy in the sense that it's like as bonkers as Nick Cage. Right. But it's, it's not a, it didn't really disturb me. Oh no, no, no. It's campy. It's funny. It's crazy over the top. It's insane. It's gory. I mean, it's, it's a really like a Baroque kind of just strange operatic piece of imagery and horror Tropes. Well, I'm glad that I got you to watch it and you liked it. You know, it's I, totally fun. And I mean, we should maybe do an episode at some point on uh, Lovecraft movies. But it did make me think of uh, those early Stuart Gordon movies. Oh, like well, like From Beyond and Reanimator. Exactly. But I guess Stuart Gordon has, has done a few more uh, that I didn't pay attention to. No, so. neither did I. When he's now passed away. So yeah. But so yeah, for Lovecraft fan, I don't know. I, this is just a wild movie. It's just. <laughs> But you, you got to know what you're getting into, because I think uh, people could easily hate this movie. Oh, well, but I mean, I don't know. I See, I feel like this one, I would class, it's sort of sci-fi, but I, cla- I classify it as a horror film of sorts. It is. It is. But it's not like they're, I mean, it's definitely a horror film. It is definitely a horror film. There's weird, disgusting, practical effects that are awesome. It was a nice blend of uh, practical effects and CGI. I mean, I'm not going to give away, but there's something that is just so awesome and crazy and it kind of reminds me of the Rob Bottin stuff and uh, yes and I just really dug it and I just thought boy that Jolie Richardson she also said I'm in for it man I'm gonna do oh, it yeah. 100% and oh my yeah where she goes with that oh I mean this movie I'm like I just don't picture uh, you know Jolie Richardson doing the things <laughs> that she did in this movie but yet there she is yeah there she no this movie it, it, this movie just cranks it up all like when you think it can't go any further it does so I don't know if, I don't want to oversell it for people but I really do think it's something you want to check out. Well, it's it's a it's a strange piece. It's an odd movie, and yeah, I'm I'm not going to oversell it, but it's uh it, it's unique, and I would have absolutely freaking loved this movie as a teenager. That's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about like wow, you know, it doesn't feel like an '80s movie, but it feels like those kind of movies that I really appreciated in the '80s. It was interesting to watch it along with these '70s horror and stuff, is because it felt like a mod uh, it, it it didn't feel like it was made then but it felt like a, a modern version of the same type of thinking that went into those movies well yeah so that's where you know even though i really enjoyed gretel and hansel i don't think it really fits in with the 70s right. and stuff but like colorado space it definitely feels like this theme and i just i really appreciate criterion going all in and giving me so many movies to watch that i have never heard of and seen and so i've seen in the past month like 15 movies i've never saw before yeah that's very cool and never even heard of yeah i mean colorado space ha- I was on my radar screen since the time I heard it was coming out. There's another movie that I'm trying to track down that came out this year. What is that? Called Possessor. Is that the one that's by Cronenberg's uh, son? Exactly. It's written and directed by Cronenberg's son, which is why I'm bringing it up. Yeah. I don't know if it's available streaming. It's certainly available for streaming, like to pay for. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I would like to check that out. Because I did like his antiviral movie. I didn't see that. You never saw that? No. My wife probably did. It's pretty good. I will do some digging on Possessor. I, by the way, is speaking of Possess, I still, I'm, I'm looking for the Possession, 1981. Haven't been able to find it oh, yet. Oh, you haven't I, been able to I, find I do, it. I just did a sweep for it today, but. Okay. 
But uh, anyways, I really hope that uh, listeners out there enjoy these two parts. Uh, again, lots to dive into, but this is the perfect season to you know watch these horror movies. So there you go. There you go. And I probably won't watch any horror movies for another year. <laughs> it's not my favorite <laughs> no, genre. You know, something might come up. There's, if something the, comes yeah, up. Yeah, you know? something will come up. There, there's always a Mandy out there waiting. Yeah, but I mean, I really am going to need to take a break. Oh, I think you these. need a long break. And I think you need a, a break from uh, low-budget 70s movies in general i do i don't know about that but uh i got you know i got a few things that have been like i've been watching that don't really have a theme to them but i haven't i've kind of put them aside until i can finish these so right i'll get okay, back to so those get, get back to those all right well again this is uh this is a good old uh, jimmy Kent Karloff there. And, uh, <laughs> Wait, you just gave your last name. I've been doing that. Oh, you, you don't have? have to do yours, but I do mine now. That oh, happened I didn't while re- you were on hiatus. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I told, I tell people I'm James Kent. I'm proud of my, I'm proud of who I am. <laughs> <laughs> you, you should be. be. You're you chill, be. but you want to, you want to give people the name, and we'll start saying, you know, that but we can do whatever you want. Um, I'll think about it. Yeah, you do. All right. But everybody knows the cat's out of the bag. People can find me. I live in Vermont. I'm James Kent. All right. There's my phone number. No. Can you give us your social security number? No, but you can get a hold of me at feedback at stuffweseen.com. Um, and also, you know, pop onto the site, stuffweseen.com. And uh, the Instagram is stuffweseenpodcast. And by the way, I, I, for these two episodes, I'm going to have a lot on the Instagram because there's so many movies. <laughs> it's endless movies. Yeah, this, I'm going to get exhausted. This was, what was this? Like 24 movies or something? It's like 30 30 okay. <laughs> yeah 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 tons anyways all right people uh go uh, watch some of these films on uh, the streaming and criteria thanks for listening bye-bye must be the season i'm